Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you open up your bulletin, on the top of what I suppose would be page three, you notice that there is a verse that is set apart. It is a Bible verse that matches the theme found in our scripture readings. There is a book published over a half a century ago called Planning the Service that gives hymn suggestions and, and uh, helps for each Sunday of the church year. And at the top of each page for each Sunday in the church year are these verses. So that's where I get these Bible verses from. It is my prayer that you take a moment to read that Bible verse on the top of that page above the opening hymn each Sunday and that you benefit from reading that verse, which serves as a good theme. As you can see, Sunday, this Sunday's verse says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This matches our gospel reading remarkably well. That is the parable of the sower, which I'll talk about in a little bit. This verse that I just read to you is from Psalm 95. And you, many of you, probably have much of Psalm 95 committed to memory, even if you are not familiar with these two verses. The psalm begins, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. If you're wondering, I know this, but where is it from? It is part of Matins, known as the Vignette. And this is a psalm of praise, acknowledging the wonderful things that God has done for us, admitting who we are, and also praising God, a response to God for his many mercies, which are new to us every morning. In Matins, after we sing, O come, let us worship the Lord, or let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are used to then concluding with the Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. But that isn't how the psalm itself concludes. Instead, the psalm continues with that verse that is found in your bulletin. It concludes with, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. In these verses that I just read, twice we heard a word that Jesus also spoke twice in today's parable of the sower. 
It may not be an easy word to guess if you are trying to think of what that word might be. But that word is the word heart. Do not harden your hearts. He said they are people who go astray in their heart. And Jesus speaks about those who have a hard heart and those whose hearts hear the word of God. A hard heart will not listen to God. An example of one with a hard heart in the scriptures is Pharaoh. Pharaoh was told by God through Moses to let the Israelite people go so that they can return to the promised land. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh refused to heed the word of God. And so he was unwilling to let the people go until the 10th plague, the Passover. Many today have hard hearts. And that is demonstrated when they are unwilling to listen to the word of God. Some in the hardness of their have hard hearts simply because they are uninformed. They think they know what Christianity is all about. Maybe they think it's all about God taking people's money and sending them to hell. And so they conclude that they will not listen that God has nothing to tell them and nothing to teach them. And others have hard hearts because they refuse to heed the word of God. They want to do what is right in their own eyes, and they do not want to do what God teaches. They do not want to repent of their sin when they are called to repentance, nor do they want to heed God's life-giving and life-saving word in faith because they think they have better ideas. Drawing from the theme verse today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We can hear of four kinds of hearts in today's gospel. We can hear of the hard-hearted, the faint-hearted, the half-hearted, and the true-hearted. When Jesus explains the parable of the sower, he uses the word heart to explain that first example, and the last example. In the parable, Jesus teaches that the seed is the word of God. And that seed, it falls on the path, it falls along the rocks, it falls among the thorns, and it also falls on good soil. Now, no farmer would allow his seed to be wasted in that way, given how expensive seed is, and, and it will only grow in the right conditions. The wise farmer will make sure that the seed is planted in the right place and in the right conditions. But God, however, as he is showing from this parable of the sower, does not do such calculating when it comes to spreading his word, for the seed is the word of God. Why doesn't he do such calculating? 
Well, he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all to have the opportunity to hear the life-giving and life-saving word, to know Christ, to know their Savior, to know that he died for them and rose for them to give them the gift of eternal life, that through Christ they can be reconciled to God and that they have access to heaven. He has commanded that we go to all the nations and to proclaim this word of God. Jesus taught in the parable of the great banquet that the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, who are found in alleys and highways and hedges of the city are to be preached the saving gospel and bring them in for that invitation of the gospel belongs to them. Jesus put a child, a young child, Greek word mikros, meaning the smallest of children, newborn baby, into his arms and said, whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. He extols and uplifts the little ones as the finest examples of faith, not the strong and the mighty, the brightest and the best, but he exalts even the littlest ones. Jesus received tax collectors, prostitutes, and other sinners as he called them to repentance and forgave them of their many transgressions. This ought to be a comfort for you because it also means there's room for you in his heart, in heaven, in his church, and that he has called even you. You can be confident of that because you have been baptized into Christ. Jesus describes among those that seed that falls on the path and among the thorns, we can call that the faint-hearted and the half-hearted. And among the faint-hearted and half-hearted are where many losses take place in the church. Those times of temptation pull people away from Christ or the cares and the riches and pleasures of life make them think that those things are more important than the life-giving and life-saving word of God. We are all faced with temptation. We certainly have various cares that keep our thoughts focused on earthly things. Most Americans have many riches, and we, have all, we all have various pleasures or desires that are constantly seeking our attention so that we're no longer focusing on the Word of God. What is the antidote to all of this so that we do not fall away? Satan not only leads us into these temptations or distractions, but then he tries to use them to tear us further away from our Savior. Satan tries to get us to look inward to see if we can have any hope. That instead of dwelling on Christ, on the cross of Christ, the crucified, instead of dwelling on our Savior, Satan says to you, look inside. Those temptations you face, you're not good enough to be a sinner or a Christian. No way could you 
having had those temptations, be called a child of God. Or Satan will say to you, look at all those earthly pressures you have. That cannot be an indication that Jesus has invited you to take up his cross and follow him. By making you look inward within yourself to see if you could somehow still have some standing with God, Satan is trying to drive you to despair and to harden your heart so that you will no longer walk in the ways of your good shepherd. He wants you to feel cornered and isolated. But Jesus, he is still with you. He has still given you his promises. He has meant it when he baptized you into his family and covered you with his righteousness. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He is present. He is in your presence. And he comes to you with his grace. And he showers you with his gifts. And he feeds you his body and his blood. He adds you to his family through baptism. He shepherds you as members of his flock. He laid down his life for you so that you can have eternal life and salvation. So the antidote, if we find ourselves becoming hard-hearted, faint-hearted, or even half-hearted, is found in Christ. Not working harder ourselves or looking within for some sort of assurance of God's grace. The antidote is Christ himself who shepherds us through his word. And by his word, he applies to you the victory. Those who had previously been hard-hearted, faint-hearted, or even half-hearted can and have become true-hearted as the word of God takes root in his people. The Holy Spirit is not absent as God's word is proclaimed, but the Holy Spirit is present to accomplish the will of God. It is as the prophet Isaiah had written in our Old Testament lesson, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is such a comfort to know that God would even care about us mortal sinners that he would shower us with his saving word and that he accomplishes his amazing works through his word. He accomplishes that which he pleases through his word. I think sometimes when we read the parable of the sower, we have a temptation to try to figure out what type of soil we may be trying to figure out where we stand along that spectrum. And then, and in some respects, we must do this because all the scriptures teach us to make us make our calling and election sure. That is, we are to be confident of our standing 
before God. Again, not by looking inward, but by looking to Christ and what he has done for us and how he comes to us with his grace. We don't gain this confidence by our attempts to do good works. We do not gain this, but instead we gain this confidence as we spend time in God's word. That is, through the testimony of Christ, he sustains us unto the end, counting us blameless as his children. As Paul writes in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, after all, the Holy Spirit is at work to bless us through his word. He turns our hearts of stone into hearts of living flesh, which then receive the wonderful riches of Christ Jesus, that forgiveness of sins. These blessings are ours because our Savior went to the cross, being blamed for our many sins, and he atoned for those sins by offering his innocent blood as the payment for those sins. Now, when figuring out where we may stand before God through these various kinds of soil found in the parable of the sower, we must not think that we are in some sort of a fixed place that cannot change. If we think we've gone from being true-hearted to maybe faint-hearted or half-hearted, well, we look at the antidote. We turn to Christ. We don't say, well, I'm in this half-hearted spot and I just hope that maybe God would receive me. Those who are in good ground may find themselves in places of temptation or being choked by the weeds. Those who are hard-hearted can still have their hearts softened to receive the saving gospel. This makes me want to go off into a little bit of a, of a tangent. We can certainly improve when it comes to this word of God. Our society is strange when these days on what they think is fluid and on what they think cannot change. So again, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth pointing out. Look at what our society is doing when it comes to the human body. They make gender out to be a fluid thing. So they say that those who are born male, biologically male, can make themselves think that they are then female, but they can't. They have to use destructive drugs and surgeries to somehow become female. Ironically, they must use such medical care to change that which people are claiming is fluid. And on the other hand, if a man struggles with homosexual thoughts, he is labeled by society as such and that he must accept his identity and that that can never be changed, the world claims. Psychological care used to help people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Now psychologists say that those people are born that way and they must accept it as their identity. They claim there is no fluidity there. What hypocrisy we see. How can gender, that is the sex of an individual, be fluid and changeable, but then attraction, they claim, is not and it is the way in which a person is born. There's clearly a war going on in our times over God, the God-given human body. 
The prevailing mindset in our culture is destructive, and we must resist their lies. We must point out their logical inconsistencies, such as the example that I just did, and we must contend that their ideologies are contrary to God's created order and to his life-giving word. People are not victims of their bodies. Instead, they are sinners in need of grace. They can be shown mercy without affirming sin. They can be shown love without allowing them to harm themselves. They can be shown how to truly walk with Christ as fallen sinners, but restored saints in this crazy world as they receive from Christ his righteousness. That is, they can be shown God's truth, which, as Jesus said in today's gospel, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. But who really has an honest and a good heart? None of us do by our nature. It is written in Genesis 6, verse 5, that God sent the flood when he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We cannot do enough good works to achieve. We cannot do enough good works to achieve a good heart on our own. Instead, honest and good hearts are achieved by God, the Holy Spirit, through his word. You see, when we are baptized into Christ and covered with his righteousness, we are counted as being righteous. That is, we are good, for God credits us with having good and honest hearts. An honest heart is a heart of faith, one that God has had his way with us through his word, one whom the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel and enlightened us with his gifts. And so we, as God's children, walk by faith, trusting in his mercies and in his promises. We trust in God's true word. We have hearts that cling to that honest and trustworthy word. For that is, my friends, the way of the true-hearted. And it brings forth a fruit a hundredfold, all because our God is at work in us. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.